0: Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. And I know Kyle already did this. We gave a shout out to the worship team, and even a shout-out to our uh, eCampus Church. But I haven't done this in a long time, so I also wanted to, uh, those of us that have gathered here in person, I want us to show appreciation for the 40 or 50 people that tune in each week from our eCampus Church and join with us in praise and worship. But Let's just show them how much we appreciate them for for hanging out with us as well. We appreciate you guys as well. Uh, We are in part three of our series, The Blessed Life, where we've been looking at some principles that if applied, will help us live a blessed life. And I know I know that word blessed can mean different things to different people, but from a biblical perspective, from a biblical point of view, a blessed person is first and foremost a man or woman who is in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and who no longer, now listen, who no longer submits to the world but now submits to the Word, the Word of God. And my prayer, my prayer through this series is that you will first recognize and then walk in the full benefits of this this blessed life that God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But, But in order to do that, okay, in order to do that, we have to get our priorities right. And the first priority that we have to get right is make sure that God is first in our life. Because the blessed life only happens when we put God first. And that's what you need to understand. And the reason, listen, the reason that this is that this matters to us, okay, the reason this should matter to us is because this leads us to our, our big idea for this morning's message. If God's first in your life, think about this. If God's first in your life, then everything else will come into order, okay. Now, notice what I didn't say. All right, I didn't say if God's first, you won't have any more problems or experience any more struggles or heartaches. All right, I'd like to tell you that. but I'd be lying if I did, because Jesus, look, Jesus, not me. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have some problems. He says, you're going to have tribulations and trials. But my question is, would you rather go through tribulation with everything in order or everything out of order? I mean, if we're going to have some struggles, we might as well do it with everything in order, right? It's just, okay, let me, let me, okay, if we're going to have to go through struggles in this life, wouldn't it be better to go through those struggles with everything in order? Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Um, you know, a while back, uh, Randy Gardner uh, shared uh, some of her amazing testimony that we showed on our uh, family church social media platform. And, and of course, they just put that up again just the other day. So I watched it, as many of you did watch that powerful testimony. But I heard something this time when I listened to it that I didn't hear or didn't catch the first time. Uh, and I thought it would be a perfect lead into the topic of this morning's message, which is the principle of first. She made the comment that even though she knew God and, and, and wasn't doing anything wrong, all right, so she knew God, she knew she wasn't doing anything wrong, she just knew that, that God wasn't first in her life. Something inside of her bore witness to the fact that, yeah, I know God, I'm not doing anything wrong, but man, I know that God's not first in my life. And there was something inside of her that, that bore witness to that. So, with that, let's look at Exodus chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 12, and we'll kind of uh, uh, lead into message number 3 of the blessed life. It says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, the consecrate just set aside, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now that word "mind" there is is really, if you look at it in the original language, it's very emphatic. In fact, a more accurate translation would be that the firstborn belongs to me and me alone. That's basically what he's saying. The firstborn is mine and no one else's. That's how emphatic that word is. All right, so verse 12. Let's skip down to verse 12. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Now, the grammatical structure, again, of those last four words, again, places tremendous emphasis on that that it, it's mine, mine. And again, it shall belong to God and God alone, all right? Now, that's important for us to understand. Verse 13, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. I know, this, this is just not right. I mean, that's we'll come back to that. If you will not, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Okay, what's with this breaking the neck of a donkey deal? All right. Uh, This is one of those Old Testament sacrificial things. It's really for a different sermon that we don't have the time for this morning. Basically, here's what God's saying. He's saying, look, if you don't redeem it, the donkey, all right, if you don't redeem the donkey with the lamb, you're going to lose it anyway. That's what he's saying. He's saying. If you don't redeem the unclean donkey with the clean lamb, you're going to lose it anyway. Now remember, this was written at a time in history when people lived in an agricultural economy. So as it applies to us today, if we fail to bring to God the first fruits of our resources, the first 10% of our livelihood, of our income, God says, not me, God says you're going to lose it anyway. (laughs) That's what he's saying there. He says, look, you might as well go ahead and bring to me what I've asked of you because If you don't, you're going to lose it anyway. And if you're going to lose it, you might as well lose it to me because I'll bless you for giving it to me. That's his point there, all right? Because I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings if you'll give it to me. You send your first fruits. Okay, look, listen to me. You don't send your first fruits to the mortgage company, okay? Why? Because they ain't going to bless you. Anyone ever got a thank you note from your mortgage company? Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Wright, for sending in that mortgage. Not me. Anyone ever got a thank you note from the mortgage company? Right? No, it just doesn't work that way. God says, if you don't bring the first fruits to me, you're going to lose it anyway. So, here we go. Three points for this morning's message. Point number one, the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeem. Now this is a principle that's present throughout all the Bible. The firstborn needs to be sacrificed or redeemed. So how do you know which one to do? How do we know if we sacrifice it or we redeem it? I mean if those are only two options all right? how do we know if we should sacrifice it or redeem it? How do we know which one to do? Alright now all right, put on your floaties because we're going to swim out to the deep end for just a little bit here talk about the Old Testament sacrificial system only because it's going to help us. I'm going to tie this all together. All right. Uh, notice that two animals are mentioned here. And these animals are symbolic of categories of animals. He gives us the donkey and the lamb, all right? The donkey represents unclean animals, and the lamb represents clean animals. So how do we know what to do, to sacrifice it or redeem it? Well, if it's, if it's a clean firstborn animal, it's to be sacrificed. You know, God's very clear about that. If it's an unclean firstborn animal, it has to be redeemed with the sacrifice of the clean animal, Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? So you can find out about breaking a donkey's neck in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Turn to the person next to you and say, man, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Go ahead. All right, and then turn to the person on the other side, your second choice, (laughs) and say, have you ever broken a donkey's neck? Go ahead, turn to them. All right, how in the world does this relate to us today? Well, let me answer that by asking a couple of questions. First, when we were born... When you and I were born, were we born, spiritually speaking, were we born clean or unclean? (laughs) Some of you are, I don't know what to say there, right? Unclean. We were born unclean because we got our spiritual DNA from our forefathers, Adam and Eve, who because of their disobedience, right, in the garden they died spiritually, and the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5 verse 12, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So, we were all born unclean because we were all born into sin, right? And if you doubt that, all right, if you doubt that, if you're pushing back against that, uh, let me, let me uh, ask all the experts out there. I got a question for all you parents. Did you have to teach your children to disobey? No. That came naturally to him. You had to teach him to mind. You had to teach him to obey. All right? So, we were all born unclean. Next question Was Jesus born unclean or clean? Clean. He was sinless, right? So, watch this now because this is where the Old Testament sacrificial lesson on the donkey and the lamb apply to us. Just like the lamb, the clean animal, was sacrificed to redeem the unclean animal, the donkey, so also was the Lamb, capital L, Lamb of God, sacrificed to redeem the unclean which is all of us. That's what we just read. That's what we just read in that Old Testament verse. See, that's how important this principle is. And we're going to see that this principle applies to tithing as well. So in a sense, you could look at it this way. Jesus, think about this, Jesus is really a picture of God's tithe in in this regard. The tithe is giving our first fruits or or off the top, right, of, of what we've got. We take it right off the top. We give to God. We tithe before we do anything else. We tithe before we pay our bills. We tithe before we buy groceries. We tithe before we go to Taco Tuesday at La Coretta, right? According to the Bible, we're to give the tithe first, right? You don't pay your bills and then see if you have enough left over to tithe. You tithe first. Why? Why? Why do we do that first? Because it takes, watch this, it takes faith to tithe. It takes faith to do that. Right? See, God said, when your sheep when, when your sheep has a lamb, think about this, when your sheep has a lamb, God says, give me the first one. It takes faith to give the first one because you don't know if you're going to get any more, right? You don't know if the sheep is going to produce any more, first of all, that takes faith. God didn't say, wait until your sheep has ten and then give me one of them. He didn't say that, right? Why? Because he knows what we'll do. We'll give him the mangy runt of the litter. Well, we'll give him the sheep that hops the fence and goes and furrows in the neighbor's trash all day. Right? That's what we'll do. The reason that this is important for us to understand is because it's not our tithe, it's not the 10% that triggers the blessing. Right? It's the faith that enacts the blessing. It's giving the first 10%. And the reason I say that Jesus is God's tithe is because God gave Jesus first. Think about this. He gave Jesus, he didn't wait to see what our response would be, did he? And this is really an amazing truth. God offered his son Jesus with no guarantees that anyone would accept what he did. Really? You think about that. No guarantees that we would accept what he did on the cross for us. Yet, this is how Paul put it, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Paul put it, right? We didn't want anything to do with him. He offered Himself. God offered Jesus when we were mocking God, making fun of God. God offered Jesus when they were nailing Him to the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, it is the first 10%. Now, think about this. When the children of Israel entered the promised land, Canaan, the very first city they had to conquer, because remember, even though God had promised them the land, they still had to go drive out their enemies, okay? You understand that, right? God gave them the promised land, but they still had to drive out the enemies, all, all the inhabitants, all those ites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the, the uh, uh, Moabites, the parasites, all those ites. They had to go in and drive all of them out. And God specifically instructed them that after they defeated Jericho, which was the very first city they came up against, right, that they were to take all the plunder from their victory, all the gold, all the silver, all the, everything, they were to bring it back to the house of God, put it in the temple treasury. All right? Again, please note, first fruits are always brought to the house of God. The tithe always goes to the place of worship. So question, how come God didn't just instruct them to give 10% of the spoils from Jericho? All right? Because Jericho, watch this, was the first city that they were going to have to conquer as they sought to take possession of the promised land. The instructions were to bring the first to the house of the Lord. And then after that, everything else will be redeemed, all right? Then after that, you're out from under the curse, and you're blessed. You see what this is saying? Now, don't miss this. This this is important. The first portion is the redemptive portion. That's why God has been on firsts. That first portion is the redemptive portion. When you give the first to God, the rest is redeemed, all right? When you give the first... Hey, look, you know what? I'm preaching a lot better than you guys are responding. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) When you give the first to God, the rest is redeemed. Amen? All right. Don't give the first portion to the mortgage company because the mortgage company doesn't have the power to bless your finances. But God does. Don't give the first portion to Walmart or Price Chopper because even though Sam Walton and the Cosentino family are rich, they're not going to bless you. Right? The first portion... The first ten percent goes to God. So the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Point number two, the first fruits must be offered. Proverbs three verse nine. Honor the Lord with all your excuse me. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Again. Again, keep in mind, this was written at a time in history when they operated under an agricultural economic system. That was their source of income and livelihood. God says, bring me the first off the top, the best of your crops, the best of your your herds, your animals, your flocks. Today, we give the first portion of our income, our livelihood. And when we do, when we do, the very next verse, Proverbs 3, verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine." wine. Just sidebar here, those of you who point to the, the, the law and our tithe and say well that was under the law. Hey, this was written 400 years after the law. What, what Solomon just said there, that was written 400 years after the law. Right? Alright. Real quick, another scripture, Exodus 23 verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall, and then look closely at this next word, bring into the, and here's our phrase again, where does the tithe go? House of the Lord your God. The tithe should always come to the church. Someone actually asked me uh, last week after the message if it was okay to split up their tithe among various ministries. I mean, after all, there's certainly no shortage of, of the valid and very worthwhile ministries out there. And I told them, I was very honest, I said, look, if you're asking my opinion, if you're asking my understanding and interpretation of God's Word, the answer is no that that 10% should come to the church. But I told, I told him, I said, look, that's a conversation you need to have with God. And I would say the same thing to you. I'm not going to be legalistic about it, but if you're asking me my opinion, all right, if you're asking me my opinion, the 10% comes to the house of God. If you want to support other ministries, that's fine, but that would be over and above the 10%. That's called an offering, all right? So, the full tie should come to the house of God. Uh, Again, that, that's my understanding. If you if you disagree with me, that's fine. I'm not offended at that. You can have your opinion, and God and I will have ours. Okay, so but ser- seriously, but but I do want to drill down a little bit on that word "bring." The reason God uses the word "bring" instead of the word "give" when He talks about tithing is because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to us, folks. Which means, okay, and disclaimer here. This. This might come across sounding a little harsh. But when it comes to tithing, we basically have two options. You can bring it to God or you can steal it. That's it. There are no other choices. According to Scripture, God's people either brought their tithe to God or they stole it. That's what the Bible says. All right, And if they stole it, it didn't end well for them. We don't have time to look at the, the whole story, but Sometime this week I would encourage you to read Joshua chapter 7. It's the the, the sad and tragic story of how to turn victory into defeat, really is what it is. It's the story of how the sin and disobedience of a single person, guy by the name of Achan, led to the humiliating defeat of an entire nation of people. Here's what happened. God had just delivered the city of Jericho into His people's hands. They went in there, they just soundly defeated the, the people of Jericho, the Israelites had been instructed to destroy everything except for Rahab and her family. All right, you kind of know that story if you know the story of Jericho. And so they were to spare Rahab and her family, kill everything, every, everyone else, and then bring the spoils back, and they were to go into the house of God, the temple treasury, because they were the, the word that's used there is the there. God said bring the devoted things, the devo-, or the sacred things to him, to the house of God. So, Jericho was to be totally destroyed, and the Israelites were to take no plunder for themselves, they were to bring it all back and put it in the temple treasury. Shortly after defeating Jericho, the Israelites moved on to attack the next city in their conquest of the promised land, a city by the name of Ai. All right? In preparation for this next battle, Joshua sent some spies over to Ai, Ai to, to assess it, kind of scout it out and see, see what they were looking at. Spies came back with a report that, oh man, this is easy McSneezy. We'll be able to go in there and kick butt and take names. This is a no-brainer, Joshua. Yeah, we can easily take this city. So Joshua only sends two or three thousand troops. They go out against AI, and to their shock and surprise, the Israelites were soundly chased out and defeated. The only good news was, in the debacle, only thirty-six of them were killed. Only thirty-six of God's people were killed. Upon hearing about this unexpected defeat at AI, because remember. The spies told to Joshua, hey man, this is easy, just send a few troops over. They get soundly defeated, they come back. Joshua says says he tore his clothes in grief and repentance, cried out to God, God, what happened? What happened here? God tells Joshua the reason they got their butts kicked is because in their previous battle against Jericho, even though they were victorious, someone disobeyed his command and actually kept some of the plunder for themselves. Joshua says, who is it? God tells him call the people together, tell them to consecrate themselves, go home and then come back in the morning and we'll talk about it. Literal translation they were in time out. (laughs) Seriously. Send them home because Joshua wants to know who it is. God says call the people together, tell them to consecrate themselves come back first thing in the morning and I'll show you who it was. So they do that, they go home, have time to think about it The next morning Joshua calls all the people together, but since no one confessed to the sin of stealing from God, Joshua seeks God's guidance by casting lots. Now, again this is one of those Old Testament things, we don't know exactly how this casting lots worked, uh, but the Israelites believed that casting lots was an expression of God's will. Uh, You'll find it mentioned throughout both the Old and New Testaments. For example, even the Promised Land. When when the the Promised Land was divvied out among the tribes that, that was actually done by casting of lots. So, uh, again, to us, it probably seems like a game of chance, even gambling. I mean, because because it's just kind of weird how they did that. Uh, some Bible scholars believe that lots were like a couple of sticks uh, that were tossed, and depending on how they landed, in proportion to each other, that's how God God's will was determined. All right? Regardless of how it worked, all right, it was the method that was implemented here to determine who had stolen from God. So next morning, all the children of Israel come together. Since no one has confessed, no one's fessed up yet to stealing from God. Joshua divides them up by tribes, and then he begins casting lots. He goes in front of each tribe, throws those sticks, whatever, whatever it is. He comes to the place, and it got to Judah, got to the tribe of Judah. All right? So he has the tribe of Judah come forward. Let's read it here. Joshua 7:16. early the next morning. Joshua brought Israel forward tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was picked out. So the first casting of lots pointed towards the tribe of Judah. Verse 17, he brought the tribe of Judah forward, clan by clan, and the clan of zero was picked out. So again, he's casting lots. And each time, it would pinpoint a smaller segment of people, p- pulled them out. And then after that, the family of Zabdi was picked out. And so, what, you, you see what's going on here. With each casting of the lots, the crowd got smaller and smaller. Can you imagine the tension? Each time he cast those lots, and the crowd got smaller. Question: What's what's AI? I mean, what's uh, Aiken thinking at this point? What's Aiken thinking? Is that just a lucky roll? Seriously, what is his heart? (laughs) What's he thinking at this point? Here's the thing: at any point, Aiken could have confessed and repented during that process. At any point, but he didn't. And because he didn't, the consequences were tragic. Joshua 7:18. He then brought Zabdi's family forward one by one, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the grandson of Zabdi, was picked out. Verse 19. Joshua said to him, My son, again, can you imagine the tension at this point? My son, tell the truth here before the Lord, the God of Israel, and confess. Tell me now what you've done. Don't try to hide it from me. So when, when he's finally outed, Achan fesses up. Verse 20, it's true, Achan answered, I have sinned against the Lord, Israel's God, and this is what I did. Among the things we seized, I saw a beautiful Babylonian cloak, about five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing over one pound. I wanted them so much that I took them, and you'll find them buried inside my tent with the silver at the bottom. Joshua sent some messengers to Achan's tent to confirm what he said, and sure enough, it was all there buried underneath his tent. Look what happened next. And Joshua said, Why have you brought such trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. This is where it gets tough. All the people then stoned Achan to death. They also stoned and burned his family and possessions. They put a huge pile of stones over him, which is there to this day. That is why that place is called Trouble Valley. Then the Lord was no longer furious. Dear ones, Achan's sin wasn't just stealing. It wasn't even that he stole from God. His sin was a clear and willful act of disobedience. He took what belonged to God after being specifically instructed to bring all the plunder to the house of God. You know, there's a lot of powerful lessons to be learned from that story, like how it doesn't really matter where or how deep we bury sin, it's going it's to be found. The Bible says that. Be sure your sins are going to find you out. Another lesson is how one person's sin can impact the lives of so many other innocent people. And how often do we see that play out even today? But for the sake of our study, the lesson of Achan is a lesson about the consequences of not putting God first. The precious metals that Achan took were meant to be given to the tabernacle. They were God's possession. So so Achan not only disobeyed a direct order, but he stole from God himself and then covered it up. And for that act, not only were Achan and his family severely punished, he also went down in history with this moniker, the Troublemaker of Israel. Seriously, that's what his name means, Trouble. And they built an altar there to remind them of this grave sin. And from that day forward, that place was called Trouble Valley. So what are you saying, Pastor? That if I don't tithe, God's going to stone me to death in my family and burn us? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Of course, I'm not saying that. Look, if I can scare you into tithing, you can be scared out of tithing just as easily. All right, that's not the point. The issue, the issue is greed, dear ones. The issue is greed. That's why Jesus said, if we really want to know where our heart's at, if we really want to know who's first in our life, follow the money trail. That's what he said. For where your treasure is, that's that's where you're going to find who's first in your life. Jesus said that, not me. Right? We're going to address this idea of greed. and got, Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You know We're going to talk about that next week as we wrap up the series. But that does work against the blessed life, and you need to understand that. This morning, my point is simply this. God takes first fruits and the things devoted to him, the things that belong to him, very, very seriously. In fact, when you read the story, it says specifically that It's not that God wouldn't continue to bless them and make them victorious. It says He couldn't. He couldn't continue to bless them and make them victorious. And remember, they were only, dear ones, there were 31 cities to take that promised land. They were one battle, I guess technically two battles into a 31 battle war to take the promised land. God understood, man, you guys aren't getting off on the right foot. If you're going to have any chance of possessing these things, we're going to have to nip this in the bud. Stealing and deceit was a cancer. He was going to have to totally eradicate it if his people were going to possess the land. It's no different for us today. We'll never be able to take possession and walk in the blessings that God has promised us if we're stealing from God. If you withhold from God what belongs to Him, I don't know that you have to worry about being stoned to death and burned, but I do think you have to be concerned about living the rest of your life in Trouble Valley, under the curse, apart from God's blessings. And for those of you who think the punishment didn't match the crime, think about this. Achan was given time, folks. He had plenty of opportunity to repent. Slept on it even the next morning, each time they cast those lots. Again, at any point Achan could have said, all right, it's me, it's me. That's what I I would have been singing like a bird. (laughs) Achan had plenty of opportunity, folks. Unless you think that that was just an Old Testament way of God dealing with his people who stole from him, let me remind you of a story in the New Testament couple people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 who withheld what belonged to God and kept it for themselves. And it didn't end so well for them either, did it? So the firstborn must be sacrificed and redeemed. The fruits must be offered, and then point number three, the tithe must be first. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says, and, and I, I want you to notice that word all. All. all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. There's that emphatic phrase again. Belongs to God. Belongs to God. God set it apart for himself. That's what it says. It says it's holy. That word holy just simply means set apart. That's why it's stealing. That's why it's stealing because he set it apart for himself. That's why it has to be first because God's first and he owns it. So, when it comes to tithing and this idea of first fruits are first, let me ask you two questions. If you made and, and, and I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible, uh, Seth, would you come up here? Where's Seth at? Let's say that. Uh, let's say that I Seth and Gage are probably liking this series. I gave them a couple hundred <laughs> bucks a couple weeks ago, and pulling out some money here again. Let's say that I hired S and G Enterprises to. Uh, to do a job for me, small little job, and uh, and they gave me the pastoral discount, okay, <laughs> and uh, only charged me ten dollars. Now don't get any ideas. Okay. This was a small job, all right. So they only charged me ten dollars. So I came, oh, right, here you go, Seth. Here, here's here's the money that I owe you, okay. First question: uh, What is the tithe on that? On ten dollars, one dollar, all right. Uh, Now, next question, which one is the first? (laughs) You're right. It's the one he handed me. Do you see that? It's the one you take. That, you can sit down now. (laughs) No, I'm keeping this. You're not getting this. (laughs) It's the one on top. Let me, let me say it differently. It's the first one that leaves your hand. That's the first. In other words, if you go home and say, uh, let me set aside some for the mortgage, some for the car payment, some for the utilities, some for the clothes. Oh, yeah, and then here's God's part. No, 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 that's not God's part. You, you gave God's part to the mortgage company. You gave God's part to Walmart. You gave God's part to Locker Whatever came out of your hand first, that belonged to God. Because that's what a lot of people do. They'll go ahead and take something, and then whatever's left over, oh yeah, here here God, here's yours. When you don't give God the first part of your tithe, it's the same as taking it home and burying it. Because you're going to lose it anyway, dear ones. You're going to lose it anyway. And besides, anything we give to God that's not first, I'm being, I'm being serious here. He wouldn't take it anyway. God, God doesn't take seconds. He's God, dear ones. The one who died for you. He deserves our best. Don't try and give him seconds. This is a principle. The first 10% goes to the house of God. And this is a principle that's all through Scripture. It's called the principle of first. So question, is God first in your life? Bow your heads, would you? I want to pray for you. Again, like we do each week, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit here what He wanted you to learn from this message. If you took the time to come here, if you took the time to tune in, those from our Ecampus church, then I believe God had something to say to you. So just ask Him right now. Just say, Lord, what did you want me to learn from this message? And then pray for the faith and grace to obey what He tells you. And then I also want to ask you to make a commitment today to put God first. Maybe you've tried it before. Maybe you've, maybe you've never seen this principle before in Scripture, the way that I presented it. You know? and, and now you understand how important this is. Maybe you might need to make some lifestyle changes to, to do it. But I promise you, you will never, ever regret it. Maybe your next step is putting God first in, in your life, in your heart. If you're here with us this morning or part of our e-campus church watching online and like Randy Gardner, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just God's not first in your life, in your heart. Or maybe God's never been a part of your life, period, let alone first. And your next step is inviting Jesus to be first in your life from this day forward. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where God can become first in your life. It's very simple. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do, but I ain't going to lie. It'll cost you everything. Your life for his life. You give Jesus your life, he offers you his life. And not just a blessed life here and now, but eternal life with him in heaven. So if that's you, if you would just pray this simple prayer with me, say, Jesus, I believe that you are the sacrificial lamb of God who came to die for me, to redeem me, Thank you for dying for me. And I'm asking you now to forgive me of all my sins. Come live inside of me by your Holy Spirit and help me to not just put you first, but keep you first in my life, in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.